One time, he came to a certain city and checked into the hotel. In this vicinity, where he was in the hotel, the duke, the local duke, had gotten together a uh, hunting party, and they were out hunting deer. Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. One of the uh, members of this entourage was a Jewish man who had drifted away from Jewish tradition and culture. He was a very bright young man, and uh, the, the, the Count and his young friends were very impressed with this man, were always complimenting him, and so he tended to spend all of his free time away from his Jewish friends, spending it rather with the Count and his family and his friends and so on. And as they grew up together, he became a member of the inner circle of the uh, court, of the Duke's court, and uh, was very close friends with the Count. And when the Count grew up, um, he, this Jewish boy had completely severed all relations with the Jewish community. He had stopped being observant. He had broken his parents' heart and went off and ma married out into the family of, of this count, and now he was going along on one of the hunting trips. However, the count needed him to go off on some mission, so he cut the trip short, and while the others were still out hunting, he came looking for a hotel room and needed a wagon to take him to his, uh, on his mission to this destination, wherever it was. The innkeeper, no, knowing that Yosef was, uh, was a wagon driver, uh, hooked them up with each other and uh, gave Yosef, the wagon driver, the opportunity to do some business with this uh, member of the, of the Duke's court. They spoke about timing, and it turned out that the Duke's friend needed to leave early in the morning, and Reb Yosef's schedule, uh, his, his, his practice was that he wouldn't leave before the morning prayers, and you couldn't say the morning prayers until a certain hour of daylight, and so it didn't work out. So the man went back to the innkeeper to find him a different wagon. The innkeeper was very surprised. How do you turn down such a customer? He went back to Reb Yosef and badgered him about taking this customer. And, and, and doing the trip. And Reb Yosef insisted that, he has to, that his schedule for all these years has been that he doesn't leave, doesn't begin a journey, until he's finished his prayers, and you can't pray that early. Finally, he went back to his room, and this badgering and, and the need to defend himself uh, for the right to say his prayers in the morning before going off on a trip really got to him, and it brought back all the painful memories, and he again revisited this whole idea of what had become of him. Here he was, a great scholar, 
uh, a, a great intellect, a man of learning, a man of books, and and now what? Now he drives a wagon. Now he's he's diminished to to a simple laborer, and when he wants to even say his prayers, like every Jew says in the morning, like any like any Jew would in the morning, he has to argue about it and get all this grief from the innkeeper about how uh, it doesn't make sense to refuse such a customer just because you want to do your prayers. And so he started preparing for bed and the, the bedtime Shema, the prayers before going to sleep. And he said his prayers with greater devotion than usual. And in the middle of the prayers, he began to cry over, over the, the tragedy that had, that had befallen him, that he had, that he had come to such a condition in life at his age where he has to argue with people about saying his prayers. He didn't know it, but in the room adjoining his at the inn, the Count's friend was trying to sleep. The walls were very thin. The Count's friend was lying in bed, and he hears Rabbi Yosef saying his bedtime Shema. The words sounded vaguely familiar. The tune was familiar. And when Rabbi Yosef began to cry, it touched this, the Count's friend so deeply that he couldn't sleep at all. It brought back memories of his parents, of his father who used to say the bedtime Shema with the same tune. Brought back all the thoughts of how he had drifted away from his, from his family, from his tradition, from mitzvahs, how he had slowly given up keeping kosher, how the first time he had violated Shabbos in order to go with his friends, and how he was miserable. He had no life. He was respected, admired, and accepted by the Count and his family, but he didn't really belong. He wasn't part of it. Even now, being sent off on this mission, the Count would never have sent any of his other relatives. And so he felt a deep regret over the change of life that he had, that he had, in, that he had brought. And he yearned to go back to the old way, to his father's way. But how could he? It was too late. And so he began to cry. In the morning, Yosef got up and was preparing for his, uh, for his, for his morning prayers. And there's a knock on the door. He opens the door, and the Count's friend was standing there, his eyes swollen and red from crying. And he mumbled something about borrowing the tefillin. He wanted to borrow Yosef's tefillin so that he could pray the way he used to when he was a bar mitzvah boy. Of course, Yosef gave him the tefillin, thinking that he would get it back in 20 minutes. But 20 minutes came and went, an hour came and went, two hours, the man isn't returning the tefillin. So he goes to the door, to the man's door, to find out what's going on, and he hears the man crying, sobbing, uh, with bitter tears on the other side, and he left him alone. 
In the afternoon, the man finally opened his door and returned the tefillin. Later that evening, obviously this guy had, was not going on any trip anywhere, but later that evening, he asked the innkeeper to get him a doctor. He wasn't feeling well. When Rabbi Yosef heard this, he thought something is going on here, something very deep, very profound, very, and I better stay and see what's going on. So although he was scheduled to leave, he uh, decided to stay the night. A doctor came and examined the patient and found that he was burning up with fever, something very, um, something very painful was creating a deep disturbance in this man, and uh, there was nothing the doctor could do. In the morning, when the fever hadn't broken, the doctor basically announced that the man is going to die and there's nothing we can do. He's wasting away in front of our eyes, he's burning up, and uh, not, the medicine didn't help any, and if the, if the fever doesn't break soon, he's, he's a goner. On top of that, a messenger arrived from back home telling this man that his wife, who was a cousin of the Duke, and his child had been boating when the boat tipped over and both drowned. Now the doctors were debating whether he should be told this news. On the one hand, who are they to keep the news from him? But on the other hand, they were certain that another grief, a little more pain, and the man is going to, is going to pass away. Abyasif felt responsible for what was going on and asked permission to visit with the patient. The doctors had basically given up hope and thought there could be no harm, and they let him visit. He went into the room. And he began to encourage the man to go back to, the, to a life of, of, of Judaism, to a life of mitzvahs, to a life of Torah, and that he would help him, he would guide him, he would take him by the hand and show him how to get back into Jewish life. Miraculously, the man opened his eyes, and by the time the doctors came back to check on him, he was sitting up in bed. The man did, in fact, ask permission to move away from the city because of the painful memories that it, that it carried. The Duke understood that very well and gave him permission to, to move away. And there in that new place, the man followed Rabbi Yosef's study curriculum or, or syllabus and re-educated himself into Jewish life into mitzvahs and Torah, and began to conduct himself as a full-fledged Jew. During these years, the Alter Rebbe had passed away, and his son had succeeded him and was known as the Mittel Rebbe. Rabbi Yosef now would travel for holidays to the Mittel Rebbe. And when he came that year for Rosh Hashanah to the Mittel Rebbe, the, uh, the Rebbe's secretary uh, sought him out 
and said the Rebbe wants to see you. He went into the Rebbe's room and the Rebbe said to him, your mission has been accomplished. That man who you helped come back to, to, to his roots, to come back to his Judaism, uh, was the reason for your becoming a wagon driver. Now that you've accomplished it, there's no reason for you to remain there, to remain as a wagon driver. Now it is appropriate that you become a rabbi. And soon after that, he was approached by another congregation asking that he become their rabbi, and this time he accepted. The Baal Shem Tov said that a soul comes down into this world for 70 or 80 years, of course, to live a good life, to do good things. But it is possible that the entire life, the entire 70 or 80 years, are necessary because of one favor that we can do, that this soul can do to another, either physically or spiritually, materially or spiritually. That there are times when a soul comes down into this world specifically because of a favor that this soul is going to do for another soul, either materially or spiritually. Of course, as long as life is given, many good things can be accomplished in a life. But the reason for this life, the reason for this soul coming down into this world is primarily for that one favor that we can do for another person. And in this case, in Abyasif's case, that one favor and that one person was actually identified. For most of us, we don't know. We don't know who that person is. We don't know what the favor is. So we go about life trying to do as many favors to as many people as possible because that one favor could justify and could explain and could fulfill the purpose for which we were born in the first place. The other point of the story is Rabbi Yosef's reaction to his wife's simple, strong, true, and unwavering faith. That simplicity, that clarity, that is sometimes clouded by scholarship, by a lot of learning, is what the aim of Hasidus is, to bring together <clears throat> that kind of simplicity with scholarship. Rabbi Yasef was one of the early Hasidim, the first generation when this synthesis was attempted or tested. To be, on the one hand, <clears throat> a learned, knowledgeable, scholarly person, and at the same time, not lose any of that simplicity, any of that purity, any of that childlike innocence that allows for such unadorned, artless, sincere, true faith. Thank you for joining us for the rest of the story. If you would like information about other tapes by Rabbi Friedman, please call one 800 656 5669 because it's good to know.